0: Well, greetings and welcome, everybody, once again to the weekly edition of the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino in Harness Park in Columbus, Minnesota, and I want to thank those guys for their partnership. Fantastic. Also, a quick shout-out to the Free Poker Network, who is also sponsoring the show. On this week's episode, I sat down and chatted with Zach Elwood. Many of you are familiar with uh, Zach's work. He specializes in... Poker tells, both verbal and nonverbal. He has written a few books on the subject. Uh, he's also uh, been generous with us through All In for Africa and donated a number of copies of those books, which we've given to several of you with great reviews. So, although Zach doesn't play a lot of poker himself, he really specializes in the psychological elements of the game uh, in terms of what people are, what the subconscious is doing while people are actually. Uh, doing physical acts, or what they're actually trying to get you to believe about them. Uh, So it's really some interesting stuff. I highly recommend his books. As a newer player, it's always interesting to talk to other newer players about how much you would utilize tells, verbal and nonverbal. So I think Zach provides some good insight into how we, as less experienced players, and also those more experienced, can use tells as part of your game and maybe give you that edge to uh, move you from a a non-winning player to a winning player or even uh, increase your winning percentage. So uh, take a listen. I would love to have your feedback and once again thanks to Zach for taking the time to chat with us. Well welcome to the Rec Poker podcast once again. It's my pleasure to welcome Zach Elwood who is an expert in poker tells, uh, both verbal and non-verbal from what I can tell from his books. Uh, and it's my pleasure to, to welcome you, Zach, to the show.
1: Hey, Steve. How's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, man. It's, it's, I, thanks for agreeing to chat with us. Uh, I know we, we first got connected, I believe, through a charity poker event that I run called All In For Africa. And you've been just there all of the time, gener- generously uh, donating your books and your video series and, and all those things. So I want to just publicly thank you for, for your investment there.
1: Oh, thanks. My pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I like to help out for a good cause. and looks like a looks like a great cause.
0: Yeah, I mean, the impact, you know, I could spend hours talking about the impact that we have with that, uh, with that effort. We do work in Rwanda, and I've been over there four times. And so everybody that's been part of that thing, I just wish you could all experience firsthand the impact that we're having. So thanks for your contribution to that. But when we start off here a little bit, I, you know, I've not even personally met you in person, so I really don't know your story. So why don't you start off by, by telling everybody a little bit about your story as far as, you know, where are you, where are you living now, where are you from, that kind of thing.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm living in Portland, Oregon now. Uh, I I was born and raised in Maryland. And uh, when I played poker for a living, I was mainly living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, that was back in, you know, I played for a living like for three years back in 2003 to 2006, around that time. And then uh, since then, just more of a supplement, you know, on the side. Um, and yeah, so that's how I, I got into poker was kind of just fell into it i i had friends uh i had played in college and then uh you know was taking it kind of seriously and then moved to albuquerque wound up living in albuquerque where my um sister and her husband lived and um was uh kind of just traveling around the country for a while ended up living in albuquerque and had some friends who were playing uh professional poker there and that's how i got into it they were like oh you, sh-, you know you should uh try this and uh they got me comfortable, you know, with the idea and, and doing it more seriously. And I was playing online, uh playing some limit online, back in the easy easy poker <laughs> days, and then uh playing at the casino too, a few different games. And um yeah, that's how I got into it. And I've always had an interest in psychology. I used to read, you know, my my parents had some random psychology books um on their on their shelf and I used <laughs> to read those when I was a kid, and so I was long interested in psychology I was just a amateur psychologist and uh, that was one of the things that interested me in, in poker was, you know, watching people and taking notes on people. I used to, when I set up games, I used to set up games in college and I would keep notes on everybody's, uh, you know, mannerisms and stuff just as a fun thing to, to do. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So then I, uh, yeah, so that's how it all kind of came together. And then, you know, I was always thinking there were, uh, the, the work out there on poker tells wasn't that great you know, back when I was playing, back back in 2006 area, uh, but I was always thinking somebody would write a better poker book, you know, with a poker boom going on, but mm-hmm. then, in my opinion, it never really happened, so, you know, years later, in 2010 or so, I got the idea to work on a, a PokerTales book and work on it for a couple of years, and that's what led to the first reading PokerTales book.
0: Yeah, so it was released in 2012, very, very well done, nice nice book, and so that's that was kind of a culmination of all of these years of observing and from an amateur psychologist perspective saying, all right, let's put something down. I think there's an audience for this. And what, what did you find it? I mean, how was the book received?
1: Yeah. You know, I had no, you, you never know how something's going to be received. I wasn't like, you know, a, uh, any kind of name in poker or anything like that. So, um, you know, it could have gone either way. It could have been like people ignored it or people liked it, but people really liked it and, uh, responded to it. And I had a lot of, Good reviews and sold a lot of copies, and um, so that was encouraging. And then that led to me being like, "Well, can I do anything else in this area?" And that, that's what led to the Verbal Poker Tells book and creating the video series. And uh, I ended up working for a couple um, World Series of Poker main event uh, final table players, d- consulting for them. And uh, so that was an interesting experience. And then I wrote for Bluff magazine for a while, uh, so I did have a few. You know, interesting educational experiences. And I was playing too, of course. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting, um, you know. It, it was great to be encouraged in that. You know, if, if 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 people weren't as enthusiastic about the books, obviously I would have had less uh, incentive to, <laughs> right. to keep going.
0: <laughs> right. The garage is full of them. It seems like, well, I don't really need another garage full of them. Right. Exactly. But no, that's that's great. I mean, everybody that I've talked to, you've, you know, like I've mentioned, you donated books and we've given them away, and people just love the books and. Uh, you know, once in a while we'll throw one as a splash pot and be like, man, I want that book, you know, they go after the pot like crazy. So it's kind of, pretty clever. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So the the first book was reading poker tells, um, which, which is, I would say broader covering a lot of verbal and nonverbal. And then the second book went more into specifically verbal poker tells. So was, was the rationale there that you felt like that was an, a more unexplored topic or did you have a more of an interest in that area or was there more, you know, just unsaid there from your perspective or why, why, why did you choose to go down that specific road for the second book?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I wanted it to be something, if I was going to work on something else, uh, I wanted it to be something new and something unexplored because I feel like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy to just do another book for do another book's sake. I wanted it to be interesting. And I felt like the verbal stuff was, you know, nobody had really delved much into the verbal stuff at all like I felt like the verbal stuff I put in my first book reading poker tells was you know more than I'd seen done on it and that wasn't even that much so I was like I think that's a whole area where there could be a lot more study and I ended up working much harder on that book like I worked for eight months straight full-time on verbal poker tells like it was Hmm. much longer than I expected to like I expected to spend a few months but it was like full-time eight eight months and it was uh it was a lot of like collecting i watched a lot of uh, shows and wrote down stuff in a database i was keeping and when i played i would log transcribe a bunch of things and i was trying to categorize everything and like so i had all these like annotations in the spreadsheet to like try to organize all these different things people were saying and uh so yeah it, it took a while to collect this stuff and then write it all and try to organize it all um, but yeah, I thought it was uh, it was something that hadn't been explored. You know, to answer your question, it was it felt like it was very um, very minimal stuff out there on it.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. So, did you feel like you know at the, at the at the conclusion of that verbal poker tells book, did you feel like it was really a documentation of things that you had known and observed over the years already, or was it a process for you as well of having huge aha moments and big insights as you were researching, as you were watching video, as you were at the tables playing, I mean, were you learning a significant amount during the process, or was it really about just um, you know capturing your expertise right. so that others could could learn from that?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a learning process. I mean, I started it out, I started out the process thinking like I knew I knew most of the things I would say, but the more and more I studied stuff, the more that changed, and um, I started finding things that were interesting, that were like kind of surprising to me. Like I had a I had a couple aha moments where I was like. I had the, you know, had this moment where I was like, oh, this one pattern kind of informs all these other things I've been looking at, and then that's really the underlying pattern that is like one of the main verbal patterns. And yeah, when I realized that, it was like it put a whole bunch of things in perspective. I I, I can tell you about it now if you want. Yeah, no, I would love to. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for that opportunity to say, okay, (laughs) tell
0: me, tell me, tell me, because I'm, uh, I'm much more of a a framework guy myself. Like, you know, there's pieces of information that you can have, whether that's. You know, verbal tells or, you know, betting patterns or, you know, player type, whatever. And then you try to consolidate all of those pieces and say, what do I do with all this? But mm-hmm. I, I believe if you can somehow develop a construct to think about things, I think that's a great starting point. So if you've got some aha <laughs> aha moments in yeah. terms of, of those, I'd love to hear those overarching
1: my, things. My main, uh, the main aha moment in verbal poker tells, and these kind of things, it's kind of funny because it's like some of it can be quite obvious in hindsight you're like oh why didn't you see that and but it's like it wasn't obvious and it, and it, it wasn't obvious to me and I don't think it was obvious to any anyone else maybe right. somebody but uh it's like so th- the one the one specifically was about the power of uh, weak what I call weak hand statements you know when somebody weakens their range mm-hmm. uh and, and this and that kind of uh and when somebody weakens their range like you know subtracts a strong hand they could have like maybe they say something like I don't have a straight or whatever you know uh when they're betting you know that's good that's almost always going to be somebody who has a strong hand and sometimes it's much more subtle than that you know but there's all kinds of ways hmm. those kind of weekend statements can show up and and when and it, it makes sense that it's a strong hand but I, before i re- made that connection of like oh there's many ways this kind of statement can show up uh that you know a lot of these a lot of these things i heard made sense when i realized that connection and i'll tell you a specific one like i was analyzing this one that i ended up putting at the very beginning of the book where uh, somebody somebody sent it in a, a friend of mine from new jersey atlantic city uh sent it in uh and he it was basically like he was in a hand where a guy bet and uh, my friend was like asking him a couple questions and the guy he asked if the guy had a flush, I think, and the guy said no. And, uh, you know, when I realized, when I made the connection, like, it's really obvious that if a better is taking hands out of his range, mm-hmm. you know, taking strong hands out of his range, that he's quite comfortable. Like, a bluffer just wouldn't have an incentive to do that. And then that kind of thing seems really obvious in hindsight. But, like, when I made that connection, all these other statements started uh, appearing where I'd be like, oh, that's obvious, like, he's, he, he's weak in his range, even in an indirect way then, you know, he's, he's almost likely comfortable and, and uh, relaxed and has a strong hand.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. And so how do you, so you take that and, you know, you can you think all I mean, I, I can think of all these millions of statements that have been said uh, to me or ones that I've probably said as well, especially as a less experienced player where we're not really thinking to that next level as much as we should be. So do you, do you find like things like that are much more trustworthy reads or tells in uh lower level games or games with less experienced players and do you see the more advanced players actually using that as a i guess as a counter tool to act differently or you know how, how much you know for those of us that are fairly new to the game how do we how much confidence do we put in that i guess
1: oh yeah you know it's a, uh, it's one thing i tell you know fairly you know fairly beginner level players or 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 um inexperienced players it's like it's a it's a mistake to focus too much on reading other people's tells. I mean, I think the main benefit of my book to you know fairly beginner level players is that it helps you get rid of your own tells, mm. and I think that's the main value because really I don't think I think there's much more um, to be gained by just learning about you know fundamental strategy when you're when you're fairly new. You know, and I'm I'm talking about you know even right. if you've played even if you played for you know a year or two whatever you're still you know, there's still so much to learn strategy-wise, and to an extent, um, you know, there's there's a it's kind of like a waste of mental space to focus too much on reading other people's tells. But I do think mm-hmm. it's valuable. I do think it's valuable to like have an idea of the basic uh, common tells to limit your own tells because I feel like that's the more the area where you're gonna get uh, taken advantage of by better players. You know, because. Yeah, there's you know decent players do know a lot of these tells. Like there's more and more people that are reading my books and picking up on those kinds of things. So I think it's uh it's a much better it's much better to read my stuff in like a defense a defensive way than an offensive way. Like if you pick up offensive things from it, that's great. Yeah, but I don't like that, that 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 shouldn't be like the goal. At least that you know at least at first it should be yeah more defensive. Yeah,
0: I think that's really good. And as I was reading it, that's what I kept doing. Like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. <laughs> like, yeah, I wonder, who's, I wonder people, how many pots I've
1: lost. I get a lot of emails from people that are like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that until you said it. And like, they so it was a, you know a leak plugging thing where they're like, oh, it was a blind spot where I was yeah. I was doing I was doing it, thinking I was being tricky or whatever but it was actually like exposing me potentially to good players who were who I was playing with yeah. right
0: and, and one of those specific things maybe you can talk a little bit more about this or expand on this one of the things i noticed about my game and once i realized it was a it was a a leak i did start noticing in others and i was able to move it from you know defensive protection to actually some offensive sort of things is this idea of staring at uh, the board or staring at my whole cards longer um, when I haven't connected or I have a weak hand, mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the ones for me that was specifically very impactful. So maybe chat a little bit about that, or what's the, <clears throat> is there some psychology behind that, or is it just people unsure of what they're going to do, or what's you know what's actually going on when you know if I don't connect with the flop, I look at it right. longer versus if I connect, I look away quick, or if I have a strong whole card,
1: hole cards, holding,
0: yeah. I you know I quickly you know just quick glance and put them down versus staring at them longer what's actually going on there
1: yeah i think the main thing going on is just that when somebody looks at a strong hand they have an instinct to look away quickly and i kind of compared it to this in the in the book um i compared it to the scene in this movie blood diamond where the main one of the main characters finds a a a large diamond on the ground when he's in this camp that he's imprisoned in that they're forcing him to mine diamonds Mm -hmm. and he looked he looks down and sees a, a large dime on the ground, and, and your, you know, his first instinct is to look away and pretend he didn't see it. You know, that's, and then I think that's kind of most people's instinct when they see something valuable and they don't want somebody else to see it. It's like uh, pretend you didn't see it. You know, um, so I think that is what informs a lot of people's in, instincts when they look down, like at pocket aces or pocket kings, and they look away really quickly. You know, it's kind of like this instinct of like I don't want to draw attention to it. I don't want to look at it. Plus, you don't have to look at it. You know, there's less to understand or think about. Right. Strong hands are like, you know, easily understood pairs and stuff. But, like, there's an instinct to, like, put down pocket aces and pocket kings really quickly. So, I think the long staring, you know, when weak behaviors, like, whether it's looking for a while, a few seconds, a couple seconds at hole cards, or whether it's, like, stewing at the flop when it comes out when you don't connect. I think those are more just, a, more just the lack of uh, the instinct to look away when you have something strong. So I think that's what accounts for a lot of the, like, you know, if I see somebody pre-flop behind me, you know, look for a second or so for the, at their cards, you know, that, which, which is, you know, a little, a little longer than usual. It makes me feel better about raising, you know, light or whatever. I, I kind of discount them being behind me that much. So I can, I can feel like they're not going to be a threat. Or if I see a guy in late position staring for a couple of seconds and then he ends up raising, like I feel okay, three betting him or whatever, things like that. Um, and then, you know, on the flop, uh when you see people just continue to stare at the flop like kind of blank face you know like no reaction no no looking away or anything like that makes me feel better um you know specifically for for less experienced players too because better players have become accustomed to you know are comfortable in spots like that but for uh if you can get a sense that you know you notice a pattern for for some players where they you, you've seen that they stare more at the at the board cards when they're weak and you know look away more when they're strong that can be real valuable and like forming a read on somebody
0: yeah no that's good and so from a defensive perspective it's it's really that training yourself to spend the same amount of time looking at your hand right. or looking at the board and trying to be disciplined that way
1: yeah from a defensive perspective it's it's real it's very important to stay balanced as they say you know you should if you're gonna if you're gonna look at the board that's fine just do it with you know your strong hands and your weak hands you know, maybe have like a certain amount of time. You look at the board before you look away, or whatever. You know, that could be that can be valuable.
0: Are there others that I mean? What would you say if, if uh, let's say, some uh, less experienced player who hosts a podcast called Rec Poker were to approach you and ask a question?
1: You know, hypothetically,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just say, "All right, all right, Mister Elwood. You know, what what are the most reliable tells? You know, out there, like, or is, is there one or two that?" If you see that happening, you know, it it could potentially change your action. Because I usually look at, you know, physical tells, and I'm not great at physical tells. I'm trying to learn that. I think the defensive mindset is really helpful. Um, But usually it's got to be an incredibly marginal decision for me to Mm -hmm. actually look at a physical tell and say, okay, that's going to change my action. Are there tells that – are there more reliable tells that could actually be more significant in changing my action from – you know, from a bet to a fold, or from a call to a raise, or things like that.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of the ones that would be um, most most applicable at a at a low stakes game. Uh, let me let me think for one second. I'm trying to think of the right ones for the right audience.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. There's there's audience all over. I know. One one question I would have while you're while you're thinking about that, I'm just putting you on the spot. So you, I didn't prepare you with questions. <laughs> oh no problem. That was not good. <laughs> but. I'm but one that I, I feel like is pretty strong is the old "look at the chips quick" thing, like when the flop comes and somebody quickly looks down at their chips. I mm-hmm. feel like that's fairly reliable and also the point. But but again, I, I just don't know. Are there are there ones that I can really you know count? I'm, I'm not you know people aren't going to sue you for for saying this, but you know like ones that I feel like okay, wow, I was just planning on folding, but based on either that you know speech he gave or you know his his genuine irritation as you call it or you know some of these things that right. might change me to go all right i'm gonna make a play here
1: right yeah i mean actually the uh the glancing away from chips that wasn't one i actually wrote about uh caro liked that one a lot and i and, and i actually agree with them that you know people are are, are like or like to glance at their chips when they when they hit but i don't i don't think it's super strong at the same time like i don't it's not one that I really rank as that strong. Although I I do agree with them. It's a general pattern, but just want to throw that in there. Good. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I recommend Caro too. I don't know if if your listeners have read Mike Caro's book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that's considered a classic, and it's very very worth reading. I would I would read you know read that as a good uh, basis too before reading my stuff. Um, okay. So yeah, as far as as far as very reliable tells, you know, the the main disclaimer is of course you know poker tells are the best thing to do is to get a sense of someone's, you know, general patterns first. Like it's, it's, uh, it's obviously important when some, when behavior varies a lot to get a sense like, Oh, this guy, I've seen this guy do this, you know, this time, this thing with a certain hand strength a couple of times or, and I've seen him do the opposite with the, the opposite hand strength. So, uh, you know, obviously nothing's a sure bet, but I'd say as far, as far as like most, uh, most applicable at at low stakes games i would say like defensive chip handling is one you know and this is where you it can be very obvious like let's say you're getting ready to bet and you see your opponent you know touching their chips as Mm -hmm. if they're going you know interested in calling that's a that can be a quite obvious one and a lot of people are familiar with that but i think it also it also can show up in like much more subtle ways like where let's say you're thinking about uh thinking about betting it's your turn to bet on the river and you see your opponent just kind of subtly like set his hand near his chips or something, or like places his hand over his chips or just start, you know, riffling his chips, S- subtle, more subtle things like that. Just kind of like are unconscious can be unconscious kind of indicators that, that the person's a little bit defensive, you know, and not, and not comfortable. Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean there, it doesn't mean that they're still, you know, they still might call you. So there's no, there's never any, uh, even if you make an accurate read that somebody's defensive and and uh, and weak, it doesn't mean they they still won't call you. So right. it's a lim- you know, limited. But it, but it can help you if you you know if you think a, an opponent's uh, if you can rule out that an opponent's uh, that strong, it's it can be that can be quite valuable in making up your mind to bluff if you're on the fence about it or whatever. But yeah, uh, but
0: I, because I, I use that one a lot because I'll see people you know in the games that I play, especially. You know, if I'm going to make a bet and they'll like, you know, grab their chips because they don't want me to, it's, it's sort of this, they're trying to scare me into, into checking. And so internally I'm constantly going, just, just continue. Don't pause, keep going. But I've actually used this twice in huge, huge pots where I've used the opposite because I see them do that. And I like flop the nut flush or something like that, or I flopped a full house. And so I intentionally, I just paused Uh because I want them to realize it worked, you know, like, Oh, you scared me into not betting. And then uh-huh. I then I'll then I'll go ahead and bet, and they'll you know they'll raise me, and mm. so you know if you, you can use that in so many different ways. If if you sense that people are doing that, to try to scare you, and then if you have mm. the made hand, you know you act scared, you can really get paid off well there.
1: Yeah, and, and um, besides the uh, the chip handling, it, it kind of fits into a general pattern of people who you know act in, in uh, unusual or agitated ways when you're wa- when they're waiting to act are going to be weak in general. It kind of fits into that kind of thing. You know, like say, say you're thinking of betting and somebody's behind you uh, waiting to act. If they're usually anything, anything unusual that they do will usually be a sign that they're, you can at least remove, you know, the strongest hands from their range. Cause hmm. if somebody's waiting, laying in wait for you with a strong hand, they're, they're usually going to be very calm and very, uh, you know, just waiting for you to bet. But so you, so a lot of things people do like, uh, you know, staring at you or, or like moving around a lot, or like slamming chips down, things like that. Just like little, little subtle acts will will can, can clue you in that that person's probably not. At the very least, you can say they It's unlikely they have the strongest hands because they wouldn't be acting those ways. They'd be more mentally focused for one thing. You know, uh, a lot of the tells are, are are like of of telling when somebody's you know focused or not focused. Because with strong hands, people are usually more keyed in, and more focused, and thinking through the hand. Uh, so a lot of the most important tells are related to this sense of like, is this person actually mentally focused? are they are they a little bit stoic because they're focused or are they like, you know, not focused because they're weak and defensive and are doing unusual things while you know while they're while they're waiting to act? Uh, I, I was gonna say another another uh, very common one in in, uh, in low limit games is uh, immediate calls. Yeah, and that's when you know, for example, like say you continuation bet on the flop and somebody quickly calls you, uh, that that's very useful in ruling out the strongest hands. They're usually going to have you know medium strength hands that they're a little bit defensive with, and uh, just because if you know if somebody has a strong hand, they're not going to they want to think about it. People with strong hands want to give give the situation some thought. Uh, so it can be very useful when somebody, you know, makes a, it makes a quicker than average call. Like it doesn't even need to be that quick a call. Like in tournaments, you know, people can take quite a long time sometimes to call. So if somebody calls after a few seconds, that could be like considered an immediate call because Mm -hmm. it's, it's unusually quick in that situation or for that player. Uh, so that those can be very valuable, you know, ruling out the strongest hands, which, which can encourage you to, you know, continue bluffing or whatever. So it's all
0: about hand ranging. At that point, you've got your player, you've got your opponent on some sort of a range, and if they right. call quickly, maybe you can take out some of the top end of that range, and maybe take out some of the bottom end of the range too. Right? So they yeah. They probably, you can take if they out, were super weak, they'd probably have to at least exactly, think about exactly what their action yeah, is it,
1: too. Yeah. So it kind of puts it can it can be useful for putting people in this medium strength range. Yeah. So you've eliminated the, the the more thoughtful hands, and sometimes this comes up pre flop too, where like say you you know you three bet or four bet a player who. Uh, who raised and uh they call fairly quickly like that's usually going to be like pocket jacks or pocket queens it's a right. hand that you know they don't obviously they would think more with pocket aces or pocket kings or or pocket tens or less you know they would be like what do i do with these hands but jacks and queens are usually the hands where people are like well i know i'm going to call you know and uh and so that that can be quite useful like i've seen that you know that that, that comes up quite a bit where it's like it may not be an immediate call, but it's like quicker than you would think they would do it with, uh, you know, tens are weaker or weaker, or you know, queens are stronger, or, or king, you know, pocket kings or pocket aces. Yeah. So it puts them around that medium strength, you know, in that situation, that that kind of range.
0: No, that's really good. And I think you know, it's I've talked about it on the podcast a few times. You know, my overall framework, like we've talked about, is, you know, it's really about range versus range, you know, play and so to the extent that um, you know poker tells verbal or nonverbal can help change that range i mean that that can give you the edge that you need to get, go deep in a tournament
1: oh yeah it they can be it can be very valuable yeah i mean those those immediate those kind of quick uh, quick timing tells come up a lot in tournaments uh, yeah that that those are those are those are pretty rampant
0: so so what do i do with the guy that you know really hasn't been doing this a lot during the tournament but all of a sudden during a hand starts like staring at my chips or looking at them fairly frequently and it doesn't feel like he's just trying to get a count. I mean, he knows, you know, roughly what I have in my stack, but for whatever reason, you know, he, he's making it a point. It almost makes, he's almost looks like he's making a point to like look at my chips. Like almost my read on that is like, is he trying to intimidate me in some way, Is he actually weak or is this more of a subconscious thing where he's eyeing my chips, imagining what they'll look like in his stack?
1: I mean, <laughs> well, is it a, uh, well, yeah, it depends on the, uh, I think it depends on the context All Like right. if he, if he ends up, uh, if he ends up uh, betting after that or raising like that, then I feel like then I'm worried because he, that's kind of a goading behavior from him for somebody to, you know, eye your chips and then raise. It's kind of a goading behavior, which is, you know, is t- goading is tied to like being relaxed because bluffers aren't, are usually not going to like. Make you uh, kind of like challenge you in that way. Hmm. So um, if it's tied to betting, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit scared of it. But if it's it's something where they like eye your chips and then check, like I I'm very that that to me screams weakness because if if somebody if he was if he had a strong hand and he was going to check, he wouldn't want to intimidate you by checking out your chips. You know, he wouldn't want to put a, a potential obstacle uh, up. So if I feel somebody if I if I think somebody's just like checking out my chips. But are acting but they're acting in non-aggressive ways then that, that betting that would make me think that they're weak but if they're you know if they end up betting at the end of that then I'm then I'm a bit worried
0: interesting that's really good okay so what, what do you think about uh, shades uh, you know people wearing the sunglasses at the table um, you know often I'll yeah. wear them primarily like you said as a defensive mechanism I guess I wear them for two reasons and I don't always because I tend to be more social at the table and I feel like they take away the social aspect but right. when, I, when I'm really into the game I feel like I wear them so that first of all people can't get reads on my eyes I don't know what reads I have but just in case mm-hmm. and secondly then people don't know where I'm looking I can look at people in the eyes I can look at their hands I can look at their chips mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's your thought on you know either wearing shades yourself or is there anything is there any tells from people that are wearing them you know, when my opponents are wearing them
1: yeah, you you pretty much nailed what I think. Like, I really, I actually like them a lot, but I, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. But I, I, I don't wear them just because they seem like a, you know, they kind of give an unfriendly vibe. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like I really, you know, ideally I'd love to wear them all the time just because I like I like people not knowing where I'm watching because usually I feel like I have to like not stare at someone because I don't want to get into those kind of weird, you know, situations. But I, I would love, I would like to watch people constantly, but I have to kind of like get glances and watch out of the corner of my eye kind of stuff right it gets uh, awkward so, when they when they see
0: you staring at them
1: <laughs> yeah those are always awkward and you see those terms that tournament footage sometimes of people who are completely willing to just stare at someone right in their face but that's that's not my style and i think it's kind of uncomfortable and weird especially if you're just playing like a cash game obviously you know you don't nobody nobody uh that kind of takes away from the fun of the game and people some people you know are just relaxing and that's a good vibe to have and you don't want to like ruin it with the the hardcore uh, staring or, or glasses you know um, yeah so glasses are yeah I really like them but um, yeah I think you just mainly just take away from the from the fun the fun of the game and, and seem a little bit too serious to me I've worn them sometimes in some bigger tournaments when I played in Vegas but um, yeah just, I just I don't play in many tournaments so I don't yeah. know
0: yeah, I think we're similar that way. So, <clears throat> it, it, you know, it always bothers me when somebody has shades on when they, like, and I, this here, maybe help me out with this, like, okay, so, you know, a fairly standard player, not super aggressive, not super passive, you know, not super tight or loose, but they, they make a big bet. They've got the shades on. So, you, you know, you can't get a read, but it seems like they, you know, they're intentionally doing this, and they do the old, let's lean forward a little bit and try to intimidate. And they got the shades on. I mean, is that is that every indicator that they're actually weak and trying to scare you off or does, does the does the shades does the fact that they're wearing shades change anything? Do you see people be more prone to be aggressive <laughs> or anything with that or is that should I just look at other things, you know, and try to take the shades out of it because they've been wearing them the entire tournament?
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's anything. Nothing really pops up for me for People wearing shades or not wearing shades. I mean, if anything, I think it, they might be a little bit more serious a player. But then again, like I see a lot of bad players wear shades, so I don't know. I, I, I don't have any like yeah. tells related tells related stuff to say about it. So you wouldn't
0: necessarily put them in any category based on you know because I know uh, sometimes people get put in categories because if they're you know if they're older, they're younger, if they dress nice, right. if they're more sluggish, if they stack their chips you know sloppily or organized. Right.
1: You know, yeah, it, 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 that was a lot of, uh, and that was a lot of things in uh, Mike Caro's book talked about. Uh, you know, getting pre pre play reads basically before you sit down, right. or just when you sit down with people. But, uh, but you yeah, don't see
0: Shades is adding to anything there.
1: Yeah, I don't really have any any thoughts about it. I mean, I, I think it's like anything. You just you just got to get a sense of them apart from that and see how they're playing. I mean, they could be good, they could be bad, they could be aggressive, they could be not aggressive. Yeah, I think it's not hard hard to say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, out of context. Well, so let me ask you this question then. So, um, you know, I'm one of these guys that I always kind of have to be doing something. Um, I think people think I'm fairly stoic at the table, but I'm always, like, shuffling chips or playing with my chips, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I worry sometimes that am I giving off tells there, you know, sometimes am I shuffling them faster or slower, sometimes am I playing with them and other times I'm not, is that giving off tells? I mean, is there any wisdom that you would give to somebody like me, should I... You know, I want to do what makes me feel relaxed at the table, but I'm worried about giving off information. Do you think that's something to, to pay attention to from a defensive perspective?
1: I think as long as you're doing it consistently, I think it's fine. I mean, there's there's many people who shuffle, you know, riffle chips constantly, and I think that's fine, you know, because they, they're doing it no matter what. Uh, I think I only, you know, it's, I, honestly, I think uh, it do, it's not likely to give you a tell if you're doing it frequently, just because people are, you know, people are going to notice that, that you're doing it frequently, and so it's not going to result in any reads, but uh, I would say the one thing that, you know, the the couple things that can show up with that is uh, sometimes I've seen, you know, when someone's, uh, if you're like, say you, say you bluffed and you're riffling chips, and then, a player is thinking about calling you, sometimes people's uh, speed of riffling will slow down right. or, or they'll stop, you know, and like just being uncomfortable. I would say, you know, as long as you're not doing stuff like that, you'll be all right. You know, where it's like somebody might be like, oh, he stopped riffling his chips when I was getting ready to call. He's weak or he slowed down and seems uncomfortable, you know. Um, right. And that's that's so, what I
0: worry about. I'm doing, you know, I don't, obviously I don't think I'm doing that, but that's what I worry about is am I, am I giving away information that when I'm not even realizing it.
1: Yeah, if you, if as long as you're you know as long as you are aware that that, that can happen and you're making an effort but and you and you think you're not doing that you're probably fine in in my opinion yeah
0: okay cool I want to and I want to shift gears pretty soon here to talk about your some of your videos and the new book I know you have coming out but I had one more question for you kind of along these lines and uh, you know I do play a lot of the smaller tournaments the weeklies uh, up to like the 280s um, that sort of thing and and I know in your book you talked about real smiles versus fake smiles and what that might mean. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, I mean, that's because it, it tends to be a more chatty environment. At least, you know, maybe half the people at the table are kind of chatty and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, you're just having regular conversation. And then you have this notion of, you know, people that seem all of a sudden they're putting on like this fake smile, and you're like, okay, what is that all about?
1: Right. I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty obviously subjective thing to try to like determine a real smile from a fake smile. Like, it's kind of you know. I mean, some sometimes you know for sure that somebody's like looks has a very genuine smile it's very deep and ha- you know affects their eyes and stuff and yeah but, uh, it's it's generally you know it's generally pretty hard to give advice about that because the difference between a fake smile and a real smile is pretty hard to tell for most people but I if think. you do I mean, is, there any, is there any psychology
0: behind that though so like let's say just because i'm pretty chatty and pretty social and a lot of these mm-hmm. guys you play with you know quite a bit and pretty soon they have this face they're like okay i don't recognize that face like Mm-hmm. Is a Is there a psychology behind that? Do you, is it generally, do you feel like, and I know it's all dependent on a person, all that thing, but is, is that generally a, a sign of a somebody hiding something or is it just a general sign of nervousness, which could mean they're weak or they're strong or, you know, it's just, it's, they're making a face that doesn't seem comfortable.
1: Right. Like you mean the for, the more fake, forced yeah, looking? Yeah. Head. Like the
0: fake, smi- yeah. the fake smile thing. All of a sudden they're like, you know, you're having a conversation, you get into a hand with them, the conversation continues. But they're they don't feel like they have a natural expression on their face anymore. I feel like they're just kind of forcing,
1: right. feigning
0: interest or feigning a smile or you know feigning a laugh.
1: Right. I think it's you know it can be tough in those situations because for one like when 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 conversations are going on like sometimes people feel feel like forced to talk or or they want to stop talking and, and I think that leads to like uh, the uh, a lot of a lot of the. Four smiles, I don't think are that meaningful because mm. what happens is, um, you know, I, I think a player with both strong hands and weak hands can be have a motivation or, or a reason to look, you know, kind of like a little bit uncomfortable, uh, you know, like it's why I say like I don't think the the um, a lot a lot of the subtle or 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 um, you know seemingly fake smiles won't be that meaningful. Okay. I think. But I, I do think what is meaningful, if you can definitely tell that someone has a genuine smile, that can be very meaningful. I mean, that's very meaningful because it's so hard for, you know, if we're just talking about bettors too, like somebody making a decent sized bet specifically, like the, somebody who's who's bluffing, is. it's so hard for them to fake a genuine smile. So if you can actually read somebody is like, oh, that smile just looks so loose and and you know, dynamic and, and, and it's not just like pasted on, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's that that, that, that's the main thing I think about reading smiles is like, if you can, if you can be like, well, wow, that's, that's a very genuine smile. Like it's just so hard for a bluffer to, to fake that. Uh, as far as like, yeah, the more uncomfortable smiles, those are, those are harder to read, I think, because, you know, I think sometimes like somebody who, you know, s- somebody who has a strong hand can just kind of like paste on a smile and they're, and they're fine doing that. Uh, even though it looks uncomfortable, because they might have a motivation to seem a little uncomfortable, so they're just kind of like seeming we, acting a little weird or whatever. Right. And then you then you might have somebody who's you know who's actually bluffing and uncomfortable, and they have an actual you know uncomfortable smile. Uh, so it's kind of hard to read those. I mean, I I uh, and, and I, there's also the factor too of like when somebody is in. I, I think I think a quite a valuable pattern is when somebody is waiting to act and hasn't been a better yet. If they're like, they're like say, let's say it's multi-way on the flop and they're waiting to act like they're last act and they're like laughing or smiling or, or something, like it, it, it weakens their hand range because, you know, if they actually like flopped a strong hand or something, like they would, most people have an incentive to, or they have a motivation to stay stoic and, and focused and they're not going to have these like smiles. So a lot of times if, I, if I'm in a, like a three-way pot or something and I see the player behind me, you know, smile just for no reason, like about something uh, about, about the flop or something like it, just makes me that much more certain that they're not going to be a factor hmm. in the hand. Uh, so, that's kind of like waiting for action tells, like from non betters, can be useful too, of like showing that that person's probably not really that focused on the situation.
0: Oh, that's really good. I mean, I think sometimes, at least in my mind, you tend to think, okay, in terms of opposites or binary sort of thing. So, the real smile. Means they're strong, and the fake smile means they're weak. And what a a good insight from just from this conversation is not necessarily you can't necessarily just take the opposite side. Whereas, you know, I guess what you're saying is, you know, the the real genuine smile is typically going to be a sign of strength, Mm -hmm. whereas the fake smile doesn't necessarily mean anything.
1: Right. I mean, it can mean something. It can. It's like yeah. It's like uh, it's kind of like a lot of these a lot of these behaviors are are kind of you know imbalanced as far as like which what what thing means the mo- most like for example like when we were talking about long looks at whole cards like it's quite meaningful for somebody to look for a couple seconds at their whole cards it's usually gonna mean they're on the weaker side uh or medium strength but like it doesn't mean much for somebody to look immediately at their whole cards because people people generally look all the time very quickly at their whole cards. so it's kind of like there's usually with most tells it's kind of like one thing means a good amount one, one, one part of the behavior can be quite reliable, but, like, the lack of that behavior isn't going to be very reliable just because people are more balanced on the other side. So right. that's kind of that's kind of the case with a lot of tells, where you'll be like, yeah, it's kind of getting away from the binary idea of tells and being like, well, one, one of these behaviors is quite imbalanced, but, like, the opposite or the lack of that behavior is much more balanced, you know, with people. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like understanding that helps a lot, where it's like, you know, it, get, it prevents you from getting into situations where you're like, oh, he's not doing this. He must be the opposite. Hands right.
0: Exactly. And, and that awkward smile in my case might just be, you know, Fredlin, shut up. I'm in a hand.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's the <laughs> other factor. With, I'm, uh, I'm
0: smiling at you because I'm trying to be nice, but will you please just shut up?
1: Yeah, the the other <laughs> factor that comes into play is like is the behavior like induced by something. So a lot of times, like it's kind of hard to read stuff where somebody where there's a conversation going on because people feel like an incentive to you know keep talking or to smile or whatever. So those right. those can kind of like those things really muddy the waters where it's like somebody is inducing the behavior or causing it. Uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of throws another like you know wrench in the works or whatever to uh when 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 there's those kinds of factors outside factors going on right right well let's shift gears So
0: we've got uh reading poker tells by zach elwood we've got verbal poker tells by zach elwood a couple years later and now here we are two three years later and there's something new on the shelf for people to read what do we got going
1: uh it's it's called exploiting poker tells and it's my third one and final one it's my final one in the trilogy completing it and um yeah it's it's a um it was more of a it's supposed to be more of a focus uh on practical ideas about reading tells. kind of like the stuff we've talked about in this where it's like uh my first book was a little simplistic on like you know this usually means that kind of thing but this one has a lot of hand histories and talks about like the actual factors in a hand where it's like okay this uh you know this thing happened and this thing happened and because of that uh, this 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 is probably the case, you know. Looking at, at a much more uh, situational and real world kind of approach, so that was the goal with this one. Yeah.
0: Cool. So now is it is it already out or is it just on pre order or?
1: Yeah, it's out now. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. You can get the ebook on my site, readingpokertells dot com. Uh, sell the ebook, including the Kindle, on my site.
0: Sweet. And talking about your site now, that's where you house all your videos as well. So talk a little bit about. Yeah, because I think, to me, that that's where the gold is, is I can read about this and say, oh, okay, well, this person has a sort of a stretched smile, and, you know, I can try to visualize that, but to actually see it and go like, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. You know, talk a little bit about your videos and how that can be used to improve your game through through Tells.
1: Sure, yeah. My videos are at uh, readingpokertells.video. It's a different – instead of .com, yeah, that's where they are. Uh, yeah, so – in 2015, I, I worked on. Um, I've actually partnered with um, Windy City uh, Poker Championships in Chicago, and they shoot a lot of uh, video of cash games and tournaments. And I used a lot of that uh, footage in the course. And I studied, you know, took notes on a lot of their a lot of their footage and and made uh, very focused videos about specific behaviors, and, and included a bunch of examples. You know, I, I think the main the main use of the videos is you know, it's, it's one thing to read about them, but it's another thing to see examples of them, how they play out. And uh, I think that could be, you know, that can be very valuable, because some people are very, you know, visual. And obviously, poker tells are a very visual thing, usually. Uh, so, yeah, I think those have been, I'm, I'm quite proud of those. Those, those, those are quite uh, time intensive to create, too, because it requires looking at a lot of footage and taking a lot of notes of, like, here's, you know, here, here's a similar situation, here's a similar behavior, and here's how it played out in different spots
0: yeah no super super excited uh, to take a look at those so people can just go to those webs that website the video one to take a look at that and their subscriptions and they can go to your dot to get information on your books and about you and all of those yeah, things you
1: watch uh, you can watch a lot of free videos on my youtube channel youtube you know com slash reading and there's a lot of free videos you can kind of get a sense of uh, you know what my I have samples of the video series on there and stuff too.
0: So have you, are, have you already started thinking about a, a next book or are you looking at, you know, expanding the videos or what's, what's kind of next? Not that, not that you can't just rest, but you know, is there a, is there a next thing that you want to personally explore or share with, with the broader community?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty burned out on the poker stuff right now. <laughs> and, uh, uh, just cause I've been thinking about it for years now and, um, you know, it's kind of worn me down, but, uh, I think I'm going to, you know, if I do something in the future, it'll be adding videos to the video series and maybe writing an occasional article or blog post. But, uh, yeah, I think that'll be the extent of my, you know, what I do with Poker Tales from now on. It'll be it'll be the occasional video or the occasional article or blog post, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, Tommy Angelo did say uh, about your uh, your second book that this book needed to be written and it'll never need to be written again. So at least you know that. You don't have to write that again.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so, so, that, that was a nice uh, thing Tommy said, and I actually got him to write the forward after yeah. after after he gave me that nice review. I went back and did another version of verbal poker tells and got him to do a forward for it. So that was cool. So now
0: now how much do you actually play, or what is what does your world look like? You know, when you're not creating content here, are you uh, do you play quite a bit? Are you cash only? Do you play some tournaments? Are you doing anything with the world series of poker which is just around the corner kind of what's your uh what's your poker life look like when it's not creating content
1: Yeah actually I haven't I don't play much anymore I haven't played in a year and that's it's mainly because of some health problems I've been having I I have this crazy thing chronic fatigue syndrome where Oh that'd be tough couple, to play poker Well yeah yeah a couple years ago I went from being in the best shape of my life to like you know I went out for a run one day and I could hardly move and and I had muscle pain and that came on. And then I had some cognitive stuff like in the last year where I like my mind goes blank and I have a hard time, really hard time focusing. So it's like really impacted my life. So I last time I played poker, I didn't, I called a big bet on the river and I didn't even see a flush was possible. That's how bad it was. Mm. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm, that, that was actually like the scariest moment of my life where I'm like, uh, my mind is screwed up. So okay. uh, yeah. long, long story, short, that's uh, why I don't really play much anymore. And I and have uh, kind of accepted that I have this mysterious condition that nobody really has any answers for, and uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at. And I, I work a day job now. I got a job like a year ago uh, doing some some technical writing um, for a software company. Yeah, oh, cool. so that's my uh, that's my 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 boring uh, my boring story these days.
0: Well, no, that's not boring. I mean, we all you know we all walk through different things, and I wish you the best on on that deal. That can be a I know my memory's going, and sometimes I wonder what's going on here and <laughs> and those things, and whether it's physical or mental or any of those things. That's that's brutal. So I, I wish you all the best on that. Sorry. Oh, to
1: thanks, Steve. Appreciate I'm, I'm, it. Yeah, I'm, it's it's, I'm, it's crazy. Uh, cra- there's some cr- crazy things people go through, and I've I've realized in the last couple of years, <laughs> yeah, yeah. open my eye, open my eyes to the, 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 the weird things that uh, life can throw at you.
0: Well, I think you know I've been exposed to a lot of people's stories and a lot of people's struggles, and then I've done work in Rwanda, which we've talked about, and oh. you know I think. Um, you know, coming back here and sitting at a poker table, you know, we take that for granted. Uh, but mm-hmm. the reality is uh, not a lot of people can afford to do that. Not a lot of people can physically do that or mentally do that. And what a luxury to sit around a table with eight or nine other people in an air-conditioned room playing cards. And so oh, yeah. for me, that's sort of my framework too. And I try to encourage people as, we're, as we are trying to build the, the game to appreciate that. That's something we shouldn't take for granted and we should appreciate the ability to do that. Uh, and then right. therefore right. respect, you know, respect the dealers, respect the other players, respect the institution uh, that allows us to do that. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm super grateful that, you know, you were able to contribute to the poker world in such a, a massive way. I mean, this is a, this is a really cool insight that you've had in, on the psychology of poker and tells, and it sounds like we're going continue, to continue with the videos and that sort of thing. So I really want to encourage yeah. people to check that out. I mean, Zach's a good dude, and he puts out great content, and... A lot of great uh, comments from poker pros about how valuable this stuff is. So I think I think um, I think all of us recreational or pro are doing a disservice by not um, by not checking this out and adding this to our
1: game. Hey, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it, and you're doing great work with the uh, Rwanda work and the and the Annie, uh, the anti up for Africa uh, charity event. That's great.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. So is there any? I guess as we. As we wrap this thing up, I appreciate your time again. Appreciate your generosity. And is there any, I guess, final words for people out there that are either going, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this whole psychology poker tells thing, or people that are going, man, I love this stuff. What's the next step I could take? Any, I guess, any final words of wisdom that you want to impart on the uh, rec poker community?
1: I would just say, you know, uh, t- tells are far from the most important thing to focus on, but you know, they're they're the kind of thing where uh, you know focusing on them can can yield you some good results it's, it's just important to have the a realistic um, idea you know they're not gonna they're not gonna be a huge game changer they're gonna be like a, adding a few percentage points to your win rate or whatever so as long as you have a healthy or you know a realistic sense of um, of them then you know they'll help you
0: fantastic well good stuff Zach and uh, just once again thanks for your time
1: all right I appreciate it Steve.
0: Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Zach Elwood. Check out his stuff. And also once again, I want to thank Running Aces, Casino and Harness Park. They are the official sponsor of the Rec Poker podcast as of a few weeks ago. Thank you so much for your support, and we look forward to a great partnership together. Well, we got some great interviews coming up uh, in the future, so I uh, hope you'll stay tuned with us. Please let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of. You can email me directly at stevefredland@gmail.com, at gmail.com or follow us and make comments out on uh, Twitter at Poker or the Facebook group Poker. We appreciate uh, all of your support, and uh, for those of you who have given us the great encouragement that you have, uh, thanks so much. It means more than we can say. So with that, adieu, and we will chat with you next week.